This episode is sponsored by Truflation, independent economic and financial data in real time on chain at truflation.com and DYDX, the largest decentralized perpetuals trading platform. Check out the link in this episode's description for more information. Welcome to the Uncut Podcast with your hosts Stefan Rust and Omar Yahya. We're both entrepreneurs, investors in the tech and crypto spaces and have a diverse background in all things venture capital. In this podcast, you'll join us in one of our many conversations where we discuss tech, crypto, exercise, nascent markets, the structure of government, and how we can all move forward as a society. We're live, recording again, uncut. Omar, Stefan, here we go. Lots happening this week. Man, what a week this has been. You know, to me, it just baffles me that we have one dude who hasn't spoken for a month, comes up, speaks, and rattles everything, you know, um, and shakes it all down. Mr. Jerome Powell goes on and talks, and just the markets immediately drop because in anticipation that he's going to write, you know, raise interest rates by 50 basis points. Listen, even though I, I know inflation is coming I know down. You're not that, uh, I know you're not that old, but there was an age in which nobody even knew who the chairman of the Federal Reserve was. It was not even something that people knew. The Alan Greenspan era in the mid-90s yeah. and moving forward changed all of that. Or this idea that the central bank or... Whatever the whatever the Federal Reserve comes, it's a private bank technically in the United States. It yeah. its involvement in the economy no longer became uh, uh, like provisional or something that's sort of on the edge. It became a key primitive and has not just stabilizing effects but market moving effects in the economy. And it's only grown stronger. And if you don't believe me, just look at the Fed, Fed balance sheet relative to the GDP of the United States. It has been the best performing, uh, the best performing asset in, in a long time. Which, which which one was that? What was the best performing asset? No, I I I just of course. I mean, if you just look at the Fed's balance sheet, it's it's been continuously increasing for a long time. Of course, it's not a tradable asset. It just means that they have been yeah, yeah. more and more involved in liquidity operations, right? Because the the way they and issue ever liquidity, since they've gotten uh, ever since. But ever since Greenspan, we've seen more and more money get printed. We've seen in the last, you know, sort of 15 years, if you will, more money be printed and up to like 10x more money be printed than the whole century before that. So and, and now look at the governments around the world. They're suffering with huge amounts of debt and, and, and the society has become drunk on free money. The the problem is it's the, the old the old saying it's like a roach motel. Once the central bank becomes involved in the market or becomes central to the operations of the market, it's very hard to get out of it um, without having like severe uh, destabilizing effects, which have political ramifications. Remember, the, these people are point, appointed by um, the 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 executive branch, right? They're not these people aren't elected into office. They report to the executive branch, at least in the yeah. United States. So 
there are political ramifications to just, uh, you know, overnight, let's say, uh, closing down the liquidity window and then having people go under and things like that and, and having credit spreads blow up. These sort of things have political ramifications. And so the executive will just pick up the phone and call the Federal Reserve and say, what's going on? We, I mean, we've seen this is not like some sort of backdoor thing. We've seen it publicly. The heads of, or the um, chairmen of the Federal Reserve are publicly praised or criticized um, for their actions. Um, I don't know if you, I mean, this probably um, flew by everybody's radar because a, a lot of the other interesting stuff is happening. But Ben Bernanke won the Nobel Prize in economics. This was, this yeah. was I believe, this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, there so. you go. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, anyway, institutions reward other institutions and, 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 you know, one hand pats the other hand. And if it's not the Nobel Prize, it's the World Economic Forum crossing out some other award. Um, yeah, no, it's like, I mean, to me, it, it's just, anyway, it's just how, how it's become such a core center point of, driving capital markets, uh, the flow of capital, um, and this short-termist, right? Every month, the inflation number comes out. Every quarter, every second month, you have an FOMC meeting um, to define interest rates. And these have become such critical milestones in an economy, right? It's just, it baffles me why, and that's why we set up Truflation, right? We wanted to have every single day, you can see how it's performing, how it's moving. Why do I need to wait all the time for this one person or one institution to get up on a pedestal and tell us what they're thinking? I mean, interest rates I get, right? I mean, interest rates can, you can see as being a massive um, implication to the cost of money. Um, and, and ultimately, you can define investments as a result out of that. Where are investments going? What type of investments are we going to see? And what sort of yield do they need to return from an investment standpoint in order to justify deploying that with the risk capital, the time lock, et cetera, versus a T-bond at 5%? Oh, why don't I just buy a T-bond, sit there, do nothing, uh, earn 5% every year? And why would I invest in roads, invest in more hospitals, in education? You know, those are the three big, and healthcare, those are the, the three, four biggest factors that are driving you know, that are suffering from price increases the most. Um, I mean, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah. The, the uh, federal funds rates in control, I mean, it's like the leading order uh, uh, variable that affects the cost of capital. And because we've lived in uh, an era, well, really two decades worth of uh, near zero interest rate policy, you have had... And in like entire verticals spin up in the economy that are only viable when you are near the lower bound. Okay, there's an entire sure. uh, uh, like uh, like in a zoo or of asset classes that only perform uh, reasonably well, or their business model is predicated on a very low cost of capital. That is not by a dig at these business models. That's not you know. It's like saying we have. Um, a thermometer or some sort of machine that only operates between uh, a temperature range of negative 40 Fahrenheit and negative 20 Fahrenheit. There's nothing wrong with that machine, except that in normal operations, in most places in the world, 
the temperatures tend to be higher than that. So it's sort of a useless uh, machine. But this is not a dig on the machine itself. So it's the same thing. You have to, because a lot of the economy is so close, once or is built on being so close to the lower bound, small perturbations away from this bound result in all like cascading effect. There's a lot of business models yeah. that immediately fail because of that. Now, if you had, and this is speculation, but um, if you had a more normalized uh, cost of capital, one that was closely related to the supply and demand of money in the market, you would have a much wider distribution of performance in terms of what is viable. So even if you had perturbations, it, uh, you know, maybe even large perturbations away from the market clearing rate, you would still have viable businesses on sort of both ends. But there's because you're so close to the lower bound, you have no room for variance. You just have this sort of very sharp tail in terms of performance of these verticals. So that that's why it's so important. I don't. I mean, it's not the spectacle. It's not because people don't have anything better to do. It's because they know that small perturbations to the the rate will cause a dramatic, exactly a cascade uh, um, of effects. Now, I a dramatic my, ripple effect, right? Yeah. My hypothesis is that if you were sitting near a, mar um, a market clearing rate, that, peop that people just wouldn't be that interested because you would have different types of business models that would thrive under different conditions. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, those, it, it, it's really difficult, right? It's, it's really, you know, in a time where we're entering into this whole sort of phase of deglobalization, right, where in the end you need to build out your domestic capabilities, you need to invest in domestic uh, factories, domestic, uh, um, you know, resourcing, um, as you sort of deglobalize or are worried that you're dependent on Russian energy, you're dependent on Chinese manufacturing, and you don't want to do that anymore, how do you continue to invest and build out the domestic factories, increase the robotics in those to drive efficiencies. Um, in order to do all of that, you need capital. And now all of a sudden the cost of capital is going up. And by the way, at the same time, you need human resources to work on that, right? And, and we're all seeing that, you know, there's still, despite all the layoffs, which are only happening in the tech industry, by the way, nowhere else, um, you know, it seems that we don't have enough resources, right? There are more job openings than there are, you know, um, available you know, human capital. It's 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 going to be an interesting evolution where where this all goes and how this all pans out. Is this just a movement, a short-term trend movement? Is this a longer-term, um, you know, drive towards everything? I think you sent out a graph which I thought was really interesting. Um, where we look at the rising costs of, of everything in contrast to everything. You look at the car industry, prices have more or less stayed flat over the last, you know, sort of, yeah, half a decade, right? It's the last sort of 40, 50 years. You look at the cost of electronics, TVs, telephone services, entertainment capability, all come down in pricing over the last sort of 30, 40 years. And then you look at healthcare. You look at education, right? The thing, uh, you know, all were jumping up like crazy uh, with astronomical increases in costs, especially healthcare, uh, medical costs, education, college education. Um, 
Yeah, and, and, and okay, wages have gone up, right? So you, that, that's, I think, one thing that really stood out. Personal wages have but what's, gone up. Too. What's the insight? What's the insight that one can infer from the plot? I lost you there. I said, what's the insight that one can infer from the plot? So basically, if it's done privately and it's led by technology, <laughs> it brings down the cost. If it's run by a government, it just constantly gets bloated, bloated, more administration, and the costs come from obscure areas. Whereas if it's done by a private enterprise, it seems to bring down the cost where competition re resides, right? And where the sense so, of abundance res resides. Yeah, as I move up towards the more inflating uh, goods or services, they tend to be yeah. less technologically sophisticated, meaning like they require less productivity and they tend to be more heavily regulated. And if I go down yep. the opposite direction, they're much more, we're talking about uh, uh, manifestations of Moore's law. We're talking about laptops, we're talking about television, we're talking about mobile phones. They tend to be uh, completely left to the private market, all right? And I suspect and this is not profound, but I suspect that the only reason you can continue to uh, sort of extrapolate this growth is to the extent that you can have this sort of regulatory arbitrage. If you look at Apple, if you look at Intel, their cost structures continue to change over time in order to maintain that trajectory. I mean, I read recently that um, um, Apple is going to, to move an enormous amount of its cost structure to India right? Because outside of the end, and Apple is sort of one of the American darlings. What does that tell you about uh, the scope of regulation? What does that tell you about all of the issues that they have been facing? So it's, it's ironic, but I do think at the end of the day, markets respond in a way that's always very consistent. You increase the barrier to entry in a market, you increase the cost of startup, you increase art or decrease artificially the cost of capital, you get crowding out effects and you get the money moving where it's going to be most valued. And that's the same in tech. That's the same in banking. It's just, it's just the way the world works. When you have made it so yeah. difficult and uneconomic to have manual production or manual labor, let's say in the United States, guess what's going to happen? It's just going to move elsewhere. And then you, you worry about the dependency Right. I mean, I mean, in terms of energy resources, for example, the United States has an enormous amount of energy. It could receive yeah. zero watts from the rest of the world. It could yeah. be completely yeah. isolated and it could, could be, be self-sufficient many times over and export energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the, the restrictions yeah. are self-imposed. The restrictions are self-imposed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I look at I look at the chart, right, and I, I sort of see everything sort of more expensive and sort of more affordable as as the chart points it out, and we'll share the chart somehow in in, in 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 this chat as well. But I think you know, I look at healthcare. I mean, I you know, I I had a knee injury just last December, and. I've since gone, you know, and I, the last knee injury I had was, I must say, about maybe about 20 years ago or something. And um, I went in December and I looked at, I mean, the amount of equipment, the technology in there. I mean, these hospitals, these MRI scans, these, 
X-rays are so much more sophisticated than they used to be. And the technology, the, the turnaround time, super fast. You don't need to wait, you know, three days till you get the scans. And I mean, it's, it's technology has really taken over. Um, so I don't understand why, you know, still the cost is so bloated. If all of these hospitals have these technologies, you must have economies of scale. And they're only, all of these equipment, by the way, there are two main suppliers. It's not as though it's, it's hundreds, it's super competitive. There's GE and there's Siemens. Those are every equipment you go into, every sky, you, you, I mean, I, it's like always the same guys. And so they must have economies of scale. I just cannot yeah. believe I can they don't assure have you, the cost structure. The, the cost structure has nothing. The equipment is actually cheap relative to the overall expenditure. The majority is the bloat as a result of the deep state in accounting and insurance and just the absolute boondoggle that is health insurance, at least in the United States. That is where the bloat comes in. I assure you, the actual... Uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of people uh, that work at GE, yeah. and I know a lot of people that work at Siemens, and they are just extraordinary <laughs> in terms of Siemens in terms of the tech that they produce. Yeah, they're very, they're very cheap relative to what they can do. Forget yeah. diagnostic medicine. This is like, we're so advanced at this point. Let's talk about preventative medicine. We now can yeah. routinely... I can yeah. just send you a little... Uh, um, test vial that you can prick yourself the same way you would get sort of a glucose reading and you would put or, yeah. or you send that sample back and I can literally tell you um, your genetic disposition to all different types of foods or, uh, uh, what you're deficient in in terms of hormone production all this sort of stuff the exact amount of supplementation that you can take what mutations you have just an incredible amount of diagnostics you can get and it's very cheap it's hundreds of dollars right? We're talking about hundreds That's, of billions uh, yeah, worth of yeah, dollars yeah. that can be saved, prevented. I mean, preventative medicine, in my opinion, is the way to go. You don't wait until you, you're, you know, you're, yeah, you don't wait Maybe until the car is out of gas yeah. and the windshield's yeah. broken and be like, oh, I can't do anything <laughs> about it, right? You got to be in the, the business. highway or the desert, you know, middle it's of the like, highway. oh my God, it stops. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly exactly i mean it goes a long way right imagine if i can yeah. if I, imagine if i can push the average onset of let's say i think i, I forget the numbers and and uh, i well I, i'm not particularly well read in this area but imagine if i can push the onset of like dementia or um uh like severe muscle loss or severe loss in bone density imagine if i can put that push that onset by 20 years which is within reach today. There are people that you can put on regimens and protocols. Peter Atia talks about this uh, um, a lot. He talks about this idea of you pick where you want to be a decade or two decades from now, and then you put a protocol in today, right? Because you, and you have to sort of work backwards. Just if you have no goal or no target, you, the results are sort of very sporadic. But if you decide, hey, this is where I want to be. This is the bone density that I want to be. This is the lean mass that I want to be. This is the hormone profile that I want to be. This is the cardiovascular fitness that I want to be at age 80 or 75 or whatever. And this is a protocol you need to follow. Imagine, like we're literally saving yeah. hundreds of millions Huge of people amount. from visiting hundreds the hospital, right? It's, it's profound. It really is deeply profound. And if yeah. I, I mean, if I told you, he says this again, I'm, I'm sort of stealing uh, uh, some of his thunder, but he has a wonderful podcast um, that really gets into the details. Um, and he was like, he, he was just a uh, Peter Atia. 
He's, he's a, yeah, he's a yes, fanatical. Yeah, 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 yeah. You must he's know him for the swimming. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's yeah. in Austin. Swimming, cycling. He's just yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, incredible athlete. Yeah. And um, yeah. he talks about, he says, this, if I had, uh, this is a, from a study that he's quoting. He said, if I told you there was this one pill, this miracle pill, that if you take it, I can uh, reduce your uh, chances of all-cause mortality by five times, fivefold. Okay, incredible. There's nothing even close in terms of uh, other um, uh, pres prescription medicine that we can take today that even comes close to that, right? If I could tell you or there's a pill that does that, would you not take it? Would you not spend a lot of money on it? And the answer, of course, is trivial. The answer would be absolutely. Turns out that pill is called cardiovascular fitness. If you have, if you're in the top death, <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the top decile yeah. in terms of cardiovascular fitness as measured by your VO2 max, your all-cause mortality goes down by a factor of five. Yeah. Absolutely totally. incredible. It's a no-brainer. Although, you know, like a lot of, some people you I meet, you know, it's like they, um, uh, they, they, they mentioned that uh, there's somebody, I can't remember who, it was like there's somebody they know that's 90 years old or, or hit 90, 99 or something like still strong, you know, was, was, I mean, didn't actually work out, never did sports, but always went up, got up in the morning, went for a walk, you know, just outdoors, just constantly active, but not actually doing, you know, CrossFit gym, this running that, that but just kept herself together. Um, and, you know, never did a day of sports in her life, but got to live that long, right? And just cautiously eating, not really bad food, you know, not just, just everything in moderation. And I think if we, we've lost that skill set, right, we, we have to go always to an extreme. We have to, um, and to me, that was just an eye-opener, right? And some people, they're, they're smoking, they're eating chips, but they still go out every day. They get their set of fresh air. They get their, they walk their, maybe not 10,000 steps, but they walk their 5,000 steps, but at least they're outdoor getting their dose of vitamin D. They're getting their no, but, impact. But I, bet they're, you, they're, they're, I bet you if you actually followed, uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, uh, uh, never right. discount like functional functional performance. Like even yep. like the best thing to do if you want to make sure that at age 80, you're able to lift 40 pounds from a deadlift position is to just do, yep. th do these functional uh, exercises. And I bet a lot of people just do this. They continue to be active. They don't get lazy. When they need to like put something in the top uh, shelf, they pick it up and they do it themselves. They uh, use the stairs instead of using the elevators. They, you know, they they uh, yes. don't use an yes. Uber. They take their groceries exactly. home. You'd be surprised because there was actually a study that followed a lot of these people that you know this idea that that there are some you know some people have this miraculous ability or they're freaks of nature and they can be age eighty and just be have very high bone density and stuff. It's not reality. It turns out these people are just highly functional. They don't tell you about it because you ask them like, hey, how much do you exercise? They'll tell you, I don't exercise at all. But if you follow them around, you'll be like, oh, these guys, yeah, I mean, technically they're not exercising as in they're not intentionally exercising, but they are performing like difficult physical tasks all the time. They just don't think about it. So yeah. um, there's no there's no sort of miracle pill. You just have to do it. It's that simple. And the, the again, the, remember but the... Think, but, the but, yeah, but to your point, it's the preventative element associated with it, right? It's like we've, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that we can save huge amounts of, in, you know, costs to society 
by having and getting people conscious and aware of what they need to do to take preventative precautions just to, I mean, and it's commonsensical, right? I mean, it's like, I don't need a PhD to figure this out. I mean, it's like, yeah, take the steps. You're only two flights up. It's not take the elevator for one flight. I mean, just why aren't the stairs available if you're on the first floor or the second floor or the third floor, depending which country you're in, right? Um, and, and, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's, those should be sort of common. Walk outdoor, you know, carry a little bit, you know, just, no, yeah, I don't e know. Even the bouts of intense exercise that's needed to like delay the onset of yeah, um, yeah. severe depreciation in, in uh, yeah. uh, mental function, in, in uh, bone density, in muscle mass, all that stuff. Andy Galpin talks about this a lot. It's really, really simple stuff. We're talking about like on the orders of 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day. Yeah. These, are, this, these are not like deep, you know, uh, 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 deeply uh, challenging protocols i mean you and i we train you know we do endurance training so we train hours a day yeah. but we're talking 20 yeah. minutes is sufficient to delay this onset by decades right yeah so it's i mean co compound yeah. growth and compound decay are are sort of two sides of the same coin yeah and i think the older you get the more you you know you, you decay faster or you know sort of yeah your muscles just just atrophy just kicks in right i mean yeah, it, it's, you know, you do less, you, you move less, it, you, you're active so I actually less, looked, and it's just I actually compounds. looked into this. It, it does in some sense, but the rate at which it decays is actually relatively steady. So it's really just about when you're 60, you've had three yeah. decades three of depreciation. So you've had 10%, uh, let's say it's 10% a year or whatever. So let's say you had 10% a year for mm -hmm. 30 years. So by the time you're at, you know, you're at 60, you're in really bad shape. That's sort yeah. of why, right? Because it's 10% a year. But if you're down, these, this, this is sort of compounding, right? Okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, there right? like, I mean, there so have been studies, there have been studies where you can, like, it, let's say your peak uh, cardiovascular performance uh, occurs around age 28, 29. If you do nothing uh, within uh, probably five or six years, you'll be completely detrained and just below average card. You do nothing at all, let's say, and you were elite performer. Um, you'll go down wow. to sub baseline, your sub, sub mean median baseline. If you do do a relatively simple, um, maintenance protocol, you can delay that onset to about age 65. Can you believe that? So you can be uh, like within if your if your peak was uh, the study was if your peak was within uh, one or two years of age twenty eight, you can delay the onset. You can be at age sixty five as performant as you were at age nineteen in terms of a cardiovascular fitness. That's it. Wow. You can be a sixty five year old smoking a nineteen year old. Can you believe that? If you don't believe me, yeah. there's this guy recently who just finished an ultra yeah. hundred miler, age eighty eight zero. Yeah. Okay, I mean these are incredible feats of human performance. Uh, this Feeds, guy, exactly. yeah, yeah, Ken Rideout, just finished the Tokyo Marathon. I think he's like, I think he's like fifty-one. He ran like a two thirty. The guy ran a two thirty marathon. It's extraordinary. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know it's like. Um, 
Yeah, it's just just stay active, guys. Just stay active. Keep keep going at it. Twenty minutes a day. That's all you need to do um, to you know just stay healthy mind and body, right? And I think that's the important element to stay confident in your mind. And, just to, just to be um, clear, the twenty minutes yeah. twenty minutes a day is a protocol that you need to practice, and it does involve some intense exercise. It's not twenty minutes a day of just like knocking about, just strolling. Twenty minutes a day of moderately intense exercise. Yeah, I think you need that high intense element, right? You need to break that into it. You can do your walking, you can do your active, but you need to have in there your high intense element where you're just out of breath. You're really, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that really pumps your body and keeps you young and, and gets the blood flowing through your system. It's just, you know, whatever that is, if that's for you rowing, if that's for you, you know, erg, uh, cycling, if that's, you know, sort of ski erging. I mean, these are all physical elements that anybody can do, um, in, you know, without too much, uh, of, of, yeah, of a challenge, right. They're all doable and achievable and attainable. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's sort of, I mean, the other thing that sort of, yeah, this, this this week is i mean this last week has also been really you know s scary to see how you know i mean we're both in crypto right we we live in crypto um and we have this one dude and the sec who's coming out and radically shutting all angles down right this choke point 2.0 it is it's not a joke i mean this is really how the SEC and the cabal are running things and economies, right? They're really just shutting down crypto, blocking all innovation, stopping anybody outside of the cabal entering into the crypto land, right? So with Silvergate being shut down um, and forced, literally forced into shutdown, I super more and more just I don't know of the belief that FTX was a plan. But, but he was finding S out Silver how the whole ecosystem works. <laughs> Shared it with no, Gensler. No. <laughs> Let, let's it be clear. Sil Silvergate was uh, uh, clearly um, a risk management issue on the Silvergate side. If you, Matt Levine wrote a beautiful analysis of In it uh, the of... other day. Uh, I'll send it to you. Um, they were just okay. not well capitalized. Um, what... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they might not have been, well, I mean, there was a couple of issues, right, that we were going through around there, marking down the T-bonds themselves, right? Um, so one of the issues in the U.S. is a lot of the banks to hold the reserves in order to support the capital that has been deposited in their accounts, they use T-bonds as the reserve uh, current or, or reserve asset, if you will. And those T-bonds were all purchased at a 0.5, interest rate. And they still had a five-year, let's say, cycle before they can be swapped out into these new T-bonds that are issued that are 5% interest rates. So on the market, though, the demand for those T-bonds and the tradability of those T-bonds are going at 80 cents on the dollar. So there's a 20% discount in the nominal value of such a T-bond. And if you look 
at that nominal value of the T-bond, you, you know, the government sort of has said that if you wait the full five years associated with that, you do not need to mark it down. So on your balance sheet, you can still hold it at nominal value. However, the market is trading it at 80 cents the dollar. But you've got it on your books as $1. So in essence, your value, you know, how, and if you have a bank run, what do you need to do? You need to sell those. And so you sell those at a 20% or 30% discount. And then ultimately, that means because you don't necessarily you have, have the reserves well, no, that you have. Be, again, it's a liquidity mismatch because if the idea with these, these are pristine, right? You can, yes. If you just hold them to maturity, it doesn't matter what they're trading at now. They're always going to converge yeah. to par, right? That's sort of the idea. But yes. it's a liquidity mismatch is the issue. And exactly. And that's what, but then somebody shared a graph with me, which I'll share as well. Actually, I should share, I'll share that in, in, with you as well. But there at the banks, there are $700 billion worth of assets that are of the same notion that we've just experienced at Silvergate. So if banks are sitting on T-bonds that are market yeah, market value is 80 cents a dollar and they haven't marked it down yet. There's $700 billion worth of T-bonds sitting in the banks as reserves to that rate, right? And so yeah, but, what does that remember mean? These, um, these first yeah, tier it, banks, it, it, they yeah. have access to they have access to the Fed window, right? That's sort of the, uh, yeah. whereas if you're, yeah. if you're, a, if you're yeah. not a first tier bank, you have to, you have to deal with everything secondary. <laughs> Silvergate, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, all exactly. about so, like how you, said you can last move time, these assets around. It's not fair. It's sucking it up. <laughs> yeah. No, it it is a big. That's true. And if you if you're amusing, a buddy buddy of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. What's amusing is I I've been speaking to a lot of people about this. The 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 like literally the raison d'être of uh, crypto. It's in the title of the Bitcoin white paper, right? Peer to peer cash electronic system, right? Electronic cash system. The idea that you yeah. can just do payments, people can just do payments and uh, between each other. We're still not there yet. We are still not there yet. Moving money around between different agents in the network where you don't have to worry about an intermediary, you don't have to worry about on-ramps and off-ramps. That was kind of the point, right? We're not even there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. I think that was the thing, right? Why, why, and, and, and to my view, in a way, you know, somebody was asking me as the Silvergate was going down, I was asked for a quote. And it's like, on the one hand, I really felt that the market had already baked that in. And after ETH Denver, I really felt that whilst there is also a bit of a liquidity crisis in crypto land, you know, we have to build our own internal liquidity systems, right? We cannot depend on these on and off ramps because every time we do depend on these on and off ramps, we're waiting for the institutions to come in. We're waiting for the regulators to come in and put regulation on something that's way more transparent, way more accurate, and way more, you know, yeah, just transparent and verifiable than in the banking world. And we're waiting for the old system to say, oh, give us permission and please regulate us more because we're over transparent compared to whether you're at. Why should we wait for you? Why should we not build our own internal systems, our own inflation calculators, our own, you know, sort of ecosystem to feed this, this $1 trillion industry that we've created already? And by the way, 
There's no industry where you have a, an APY of 100%. So the money will flow <laughs> into this industry regardless. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you why. It's when money it's flows uphill, right? It doesn't it's matter. A, it's a very <laughs> mechanistically, it's very simple. When the IRS comes knocking, right? When the taxman comes knocking, yeah. you you can't you can't pay in Bitcoin. You have to pay in the US dollar. Yeah. You have to pay in US dollar yeah. or gold, actually. Funny enough. You can actually pay your taxes yeah. in gold. Yeah. You can pay um, in gold? Yeah, yeah, you can. Of course you can. Um how about synthetic gold? <laughs> I'd, I'm not sure about that. You're gonna have to ask your tax account. But um, yeah, you can actually, if you if you'd like, um, you can actually. By the way, you can also contribute, uh, like as a charity. You can contribute to the treasury. I, I realized this recently. They have a donation page. You can directly go donate if you feel so inclined to the yeah. So, uh, uh, at any rate, um, that is the key issue. That is why you need on ramps and off ramps. Right. Obviously, the uh, from a sort of a, a mechanistic perspective, when it comes to the economy, you need somebody uh, who's willing and able to uh, provide a good service in exchange for Bitcoin or whatever. But that that reasoning stops when somebody owes taxes. It's that simple. It's it can never be a circular yeah, system but, when but, you but have no. But if I stay in the crypto ecosystem and I never take money into the fiat world, how, and I can't pay tax in the currency that I'm living in, how can you charge me tax in a currency that I have no exposure to? I have zero exposure Simple. to, you, to fiat because you, I'm living and paying everything in, in crypto, right? Where... And, 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 doesn't matter. You, know, you said it like, yourself. You yeah, you are like, living in a jurisdiction. You, no, you're living in a jurisdiction. Right? Let's say you live in the in the United States, okay? And you have a barbershop in the United States, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay? And then I come in as a yeah. customer, and yeah. you have a very quick uh, yeah. service. It's uh, and and I pay you in Bitcoin, okay? You know you now own tax yeah. uh, owe tax on that transaction, okay? So. How are you going to pay that tax? It's just that simple. That is the leakage, right? Okay, the leakage so, so is you I'm owe taxes. Uh, but I've agreed to have pay ha, accept a currency. So if you paid instead of paying in Bitcoin, you paid in eggs. How do I know? You know that that you paid in eggs, or you you paid in chickens, you paid in in in, in, in the sausage it's that you a, created, or you created in I don't know whatever <laughs> it is, right? It's even it's, if it's, even if we barter, there's a nominal I mean, value. There's a nominal value to that. If I if I just give you a car, if I just give you a free car, remember Oprah Winfrey? Everybody everybody gets a car. You can't give you a car. Yeah, you can't do yeah. that. I have to. Yeah, yeah have to there's a tax bill that. attached to that car. <laughs> no, you can. You certainly can. Yeah. It's just that when you give me the keys. Uncle yeah. Sam, uh, Uncle Sam <laughs> needs needs a cut. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, you for, can't again, pay Uncle for, Sam for in kind. You can't. You can't take. More. You can't take a couple of tires or a piece of the engine or like a bunch of windshield wipers. You can't. You can't pay your tax on <laughs> that. So there you have it. Yeah, but at least you must be. You must give me the ability 
to sell those eggs or those tires for fiat in order to be then able to convert the value into a currency that is acceptable to you, Uncle Sam, right? And at the moment, you're squashing that or you're squashing it so much so that it only goes to those regulated entities in the middle that you trust that will then be those on and off ramps, right? Because then you yeah. know exactly who is trading the tires for cash. Oh, he did that. So, oh, so, oh, oh, Stefan, you, pay, you, you need to pay tax on those tires that you sold and converted, right? Yeah, there's or, a name for yeah. that. It's called, it's called choke pointing. That's exactly how that works. Yeah, exactly. Choke point 2.0, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, and then you look, coming back to the, what we were talking about just earlier, everything that is run by non-private institutions has gone up in price. The cost of healthcare, the cost of education, the cost of, you know, sort of all of those elements have just risen significantly over the last 20, 30 years. And so, yeah, it, it's and cost of money. The cost of money is going up, right? Not only <laughs> in terms of the distribution, the, the, the you know, the, the tax associated with money, right? It's just really the middlemen associated with the money. Why do we need these 50 middlemen in the money, right? And crypto has really been transparent about that. Go check my crypto balance. Go look at my wallet addresses. Here it is. And, and basically, there are tax accounting systems out there. You just put in your wallet address. Brrr, it spews it all out. It finds all the transactions, where you got all the yield, who you sent money to, which addresses in, out. You know, So you can actually see all of the transactions. And it will print it out automated, simple for anybody to file. And you don't need 27 lawyers, 15 accountants to file your tax forms for you. Yeah, anyway. Amen. I think the I guess any, it's been really, any, uh, really reasonable at any reasonable standard, you would just in any, if I owe you money, send send me the bill. Send me the bill and I'll I'll send you the check. Don't ask me to itemize the bill and then yeah. I have to spend money on, on the itemization. Yeah. And then if I get if I get it wrong, there's a penalty associated <laughs> with it. I'm like, dude, you say I owe you money, just send yeah. me a bill. I'm happy to pay it. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's that's the way it actually works, right? They just pay you a bill, they charge you a bill, and you go back and claw back the funds that you think, oh no, that was inaccurate. You know, this this yeah. wasn't right. I yeah, did, they're I, running. I used this they're running the best. This is deductible. The best type and, of bank. They're running the best type of <laughs> bank. You, can, you overpay. You overpay your taxes. You give them an interest-free loan, yeah. and then you yeah. claw it back a year later. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> They're depreciated because of inflation. You know, you have inflation of about five, ten percent, whatever it is. So it's worth well, ten percent less. At they the get same to keep the interest well. too, if if they keep it in cash-like instruments. Yeah. yeah. And they get to keep the interest too. Yeah, they get the interest on it. I mean, it's yeah, great, yeah. It's a great and all the opportunity costs. You could have invested that. Exactly. You could have put. I mean, it's like it's oh, great, we should get into business. this. <laughs> but the only way you can get into this business is by. You know, having a war because all the land is spoken for on the planet, right? <laughs> or you buy a little island somewhere. Uh, Remember, <laughs> the purview of government is two things: the coin, the coining money, and and selecting which currency yeah. can be used for taxes, and a monopoly on violence. 
If you're if you're with those guys, yeah, yeah, you've only you've only got God above you. Everybody else reports to you. Fuck. <laughs> Precisely. It, it is interesting. I think oh, man. both from a historical perspective, and if you just, I mean, this is obviously where this is extreme oversimplification, and we, we're sort of half joking. But in many ways, that's just sort of how it works. A hundred years yeah. ago, the concept of an income tax was foreign, at least in the United States. You don't have to pay taxes on your income. Yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. And it's and, 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 and taxes, you know, so taxes are collected by the government. But what we don't realize and what everybody seems to think is that these taxes are here to pay for the roads, for the schools, for the hospitals, for the staffing, you know, the yada, yada. But actually... How do we pay for the government who is responsible for distributing the taxes? And I think we haven't separated government from tax. And I think maybe that's one thing we should also look at, right? Taxes, because everybody thinks, oh, we have to pay I mean, taxes is, no, because no, it helps I, on the road. It's, and, it's pretty you know. clear. It's pretty clear, at least from a federal perspective. Again, at least we have a, a, a Western bias, at least in the United States. It is very clear. Article 1, Section 8, the Constitution of the United States. It talks exactly what the federal government can do and what kind of taxation it can do and for what purposes. It can, it can only impose taxes to pay the debts of the United States and for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. It, it, what constitutes like What constitutes common welfare? Does it mean that the government can just pay for anything and get involved in anything? Absolutely not. In fact, the father of the Constitution of the United States, he said it. He said the powers of the federal government are few and defined. How defined? I mean, they're literally listed right here, right? You just read them. It's, it's pretty short. Everything else is left up to the states, okay? Yeah, yeah. The, the government, it does, nowhere does it say the uh, federal government is allowed to issue uh, um, uh, to essentially act like a money market fund, right? To issue debt and credit and move between them, right? Not, it's not something within its purview. You can only issue taxes to pay the debts of the United States. It cannot give people money. When you, when you go and you say, we're going to have this program where we give away free money, air, you know, helicopter money kind of thing, airdrops, everybody gets a COVID airdrop. Can't do that. Nowhere in the Constitution of the United States it says you can do that. Okay? It's very specific. So but they did we've do thought that, about right? this. Yeah, they did. They did, and you can, you know, you can ask yourself whether this is, uh, this is consistent with the. But who, who's, the who's going to challenge that? How can, how can you challenge that? You know, who well, challenges got, that? Nobody got, challenges that. Yeah, we've got a bunch of old people in robes. It's called the Supreme Court in the United States. It's like eight or nine of them. Okay. They get to decide. They get but, to decide. But the Supreme, yeah, but the Supreme Court's now deciding on giving up all the student debt, right? So. All of a sudden, all your college debt, you know, sort of, yeah, is, is now foregone, for right? And so what's that mean for the future generations? Do they need to pay? Why do they need to pay? Why do the historical guys not need to pay and the future generations do need to pay? I, I just, um, you know, I'm not like, quite sure. I'm not even sure. That, you know? I'm not even sure the point of the whole operation. Yeah. I mean, again, the Constitution of the United States, it's written in plain English. You can just read it. I don't, I don't know why we need a panel of experts to tell us what it says. It, it's very explicit. There's no philosophical interpretation of this thing. It's pretty simple. Anybody with a eighth grade, ed, you know, reading education can can easily <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> so, 
at any rate, again, half joking, but it's this idea of the overtone window, right? This idea that we can, we can take something that was a hundred years ago. This was not even debatable. These were like enshrined principles and slowly, but surely you move away. You, you give up some of these rights and they never happen overnight ex- with the exception of war, with the exception of a state of total war, yeah. things can change overnight. With the exception of that, things are just, they're given up one right at a time. Yeah, they just claw, right? You give them, yeah. And, and and to me, just on that point, right, I'd really love to see a study. It's like of, of the $1 tax you pay, how much of that goes to supporting the bureaucracy associated with the government and how much actually it goes towards fixing the roads and, 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 and building out healthcare, building out education systems. And what is that ratio? What is that percentage? I don't think... You can look right? it up. You can look it up. Actually, if you go to the treasury.gov, you go to the United States, you go to the Department of Treasury's website, they have these annual reports yeah. and you can actually look through them. And um, during COVID, when I had nothing better to do, I actually stumbled upon one of these and I read them and they're yeah. enormous reports. But you can, the exact breakdown is there. And you can go see that, first of all, you can go see the, the distribution of taxation like where the majority of taxation comes from okay so uh when somebody says you know we need to dramatically increase the taxation on the wealthy um that's kind of interesting because they already pay the majority of taxes right it's a very steep distribution yeah right most of the taxes comes from the income bracket or they already uh you know you can think about what it means to pay your fair share but if you just look at absolute amount the majority of it comes from a very small amount of people everybody else is is the rounding error Okay, so that's sort of one thing. And you can look at how much defense expenditure is, and you can look at the government overhead is, and you can look at um, the reconciliation. There's a lot of these government agencies that actually don't know how much money they spend. Uh, if they were running, if they were like, if the government of the United States was um, a public company, um, they'd never be allowed to list or try to be a public company because their, their accounting is so abysmal. Um, it's borderline like unusable. There's huge gaps, and we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars worth of gaps. They're just unaccounted for. Actually, trillions even. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Anyway, it's a, it's a fascinating read. Um, I would, yeah. if you've never done it, I would just skim through one. Funny enough, uh, one, the, the one I read, and this was yeah, in 2019 anyway. or 2020, yeah. the title of it was yeah. uh, something along the lines of, an unsustainable trajectory or something like that. Like the treasury of the United States was saying, this was before the 2021 stimulus. It was saying, yeah, we're on this really bad trajectory. They said that in the report. Yeah. That was the like, the report. Uh, yeah. And, 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 but, but, but we've been saying that for, for over 20 years. I remember there was a really big report that Mary Meeker, who was a big analyst at Morgan Stanley, and then she went to join, I, th- I can't remember, one of the VC funds in, in, in California. And she wrote this huge report on USA debt or something, USA gov or something. I can't remember what it was. And it was, and this was, I remember like 2000 and, and something rather, right? So 20 years ago. And, and she was talking about the, the debt crisis and how governments weren't actually efficiently managed and, and, and appropriate. I can't remember what that. And it's been, you know, it was every year she brought it up again in her, in her, 
she used to do this annual report around tech and, and what was going on and insights, et cetera, at this, you know, at the, at their annual event. And, um, every time you'd see, you know, she'd always bring in something, you know, there would be sections 20 pages long of detailed financial metrics associated with the government in terms of how the government was not managed like a business and where account. Yeah. Like you just, what you just said right now, you know, accounting, there's, unaccountable numbers there, right? <laughs> it's like, how can they be he not held accountable whilst everybody else is accounted to the minuscule finite details? And you have to report that every month, every quarter, you know, you have to be out there selling what you've done and where every dime has gone and what is the ROI of invested capital that you've well, deployed, but, right? And but do like, you know why? Yeah. Because there is, there's no accountability. You don't report to anyone. You are the big kahuna. You get to decide. Whereas in public markets, yeah. you report to us. You report to shareholders, right? You work for us. But of course, yeah. the government yeah. also works for us. It derives its power from the consent of the governed. But they yeah. don't see it that way. But that's why it's okay yeah, for the treasury to issue a report. You have... <laughs> well, you have yeah. nothing. You do not have a well-regulated militia. You you yeah, yeah. are subjugated and starving, just like everybody else. You have no so other choice. What does it take? What does it take? And and what is the? Um, I'm I'm just sort of trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. But what is it that? helps when does a society reach a breaking point right when does when do you get and you're already seeing a lot more discourse right but you're seeing you know through independent media channels the ability for people to speak their mind they are allowed to grow followerships associated with their opinions um they're allowed to structure their opinions and now all of a sudden the governments are starting to put out censorship laws right you're not allowed to have a dissent you know a a, 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 an opinion anymore, right? Because we will ban that, right? And, and, and we will fine you for having said what you think and, and, and which could contradict what the general consensus is associated with a nation or a jurisdiction. Um, but what does it take to bring together a society to go and, and, and sort of, I don't know, have an opposing opinion and 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 topple and, and change some of the structure, you know, and not be led into this confusing. I don't know. I, I mean, I just anyway, you know, well, we're I mean, going away it, it, from this meritocracy-driven environment. Competition is not good. It's not healthy. We have to all work together. We have to sacrifice being the best for the you know for the community and the whole right and it's like it's something's wrong and i don't know how we change that um, at least in, history, in, in, in the west history, yeah, history has taught us that we don't have to do very much it, it will happen eventually the reason why we moan and complain is not because we don't like the current state of affairs just because it's because it's an it's unsustainable and we know it doesn't work and so at some point enough people become fed up at some again a, a, a company that's yeah. unprofitable and burning through cash and not doing anything, it'll eventually run out of money. It'll eventually become bankrupt and the shareholders will come back 
with you know with questions. It's the same thing. The company, the the uh, whatever regime, whatever country that we're talking about, it will run itself into the ground eventually. Okay, it just enough people have to be fed up. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah, but, but you have to get to that breaking point for that to happen, which is, right? And which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, it, uh, but uh, that you have to reach that level of misery. But it always happens, right? It, it, there's no, it, you know, with the exception of like probably a couple of very odd nation states. History has shown us over and over that when you run an unsustainable economic policy, you run out of runway. The question is just how long the runway is. And surely, and this is like, you know, these are, we think we have these enlightened ideas, but people have had these for hundreds of hundreds of years. We'd like to be able to prevent this, uh, you know, before having widespread misery. But history has not shown us this, that people can just change trajectories um, to, doing the hard thing now to avoid misery in the long term. The incentive structures that we have today, at least when it comes to the form of government, they incentivize short-term behavior, not long-term behavior. Imagine if we had a system where you could be accountable. We'll take it back to Olympic, the um, Olympic doping uh, problem. They introduced, you know, uh, uh, recently, at least when I say recent in the history of the sport, this idea of um, uh, uh, cryogenic sampling. So I take, I draw a, a sample for diagnostics from your, let's say your, uh, your, your blood, and I keep it in storage for seven years only because I know that the current state of technology maybe hasn't caught up to the most recent, uh, you know, doping chemistry, but maybe in two, three, four, five years, I'll actually be able to go back and um, retroactively assess these samples. And if I find that you were cheating, I will strip you of, you know, whatever your, your positions or your, your achievements or whatever. So imagine when it came to government that you had some sort of accountability that was that standard. Now, obviously, if, you, if you're a head of state and you commit a war crime, typically somebody's going to come after you at some point. But imagine this was for yeah. every agent of the government. Imagine if you had a system where if you fuck up now and you walk away, we're going to come after you, but it doesn't happen. Have you ever heard of, again, besides like straight up war crimes, have you ever heard of somebody just uh, um, uh, uh, being held accountable and not, by the way, it doesn't have to be straight up fraud. You don't, or embezzlement. You don't, you wouldn't have to like straight up taking money from a safe. It could be that you made uh, um, extremely negligent decisions when it was clear at the time that this was not the case. And I can think of a few examples right now that um, um, in, in modern, in like recent times, we're talking about like COVID and, and so on. We have examples where like there was extreme negligence. Negligence is a crime in general. If you have a child or if you have an associate family member, if you hurt someone, not because of malice, but of extreme negligence, that is a crime. Okay. So we can go back and say, listen, this was the information present to you at the time. It's well documented. In fact, when you're in government, sort of, that's the, maybe the only interesting thing about government is there's actually a lot of paperwork. Uh, so there's a, there's a, you know, there's usually a paper trail that you can go after. We can prove with, with, uh, um, without a shadow of a doubt that you, this was the set of information that you had at the time and you consistently made bad decisions. Okay. We were, we don't worry about the outcome as much as the decision. What was the decision framework there? This is what you did. This was clearly at the time a bad idea and yet you did it anyways. And now you've moved on 
circular door uh, uh, style. Now you work at a private bank somewhere, or you have your own hedge fund, and life is good, and you've left um, the economy in tatters. You're accountable, buddy. Yeah. But I mean, we don't even hold, we don't even hold, you know, we hold so few people accountable, right? I mean, even, yeah, on so many fronts, you know, um, from the financial, you know, the great financial crisis that we had, you know, um, through to, I mean, even, even in crypto, I mean, look at FTX, I mean, you know, or any Celsius Voyager. I mean, who's held accountable there? Nobody really, right? I mean, it's like... No, if you, yeah. if you, I mean, this, it's, it's absolutely insane. If you go nick it's, uh, it's, a Mars bar from uh, a confectionery, or if you go hold up a gas station yeah. and you take 200 bucks, you yeah. will, you're going to spend seven <laughs> years in prison, okay? But if you steal a yeah. billion yeah, dollars, exactly. people are debating <laughs> whether you should have access to like the Washington Post. Are you nuts? Everybody involved in that, know, that operation it's, it's, should be held accountable. Yeah. It's, 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 it's incredible. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, poor little developer who was doing tornado cash, who was coding for that, who actually, you know, sort of, yeah, is in jail, but then, you know, and has been for the last year, nobody's talking about him. Uh, and then if you steal billions, nobody, you know, it's like you get to stay at home, you get to use the internet, you get to have your mobile phone and, yeah, you know, sit in the sofa, watch TV. I don't know what it is that you do, but I mean, yeah, it, it, it baffles me that, um, yeah, steal billions, don't steal. What's that teach you? Steal billions, don't steal, don't steal the chocolate bar. <laughs> yeah, and it turns out it's good for business if you if you run a restructuring firm yeah. or if you have a or if you've done liquidations yeah. before. Jesus, fantastically profitable business. <laughs> Oh, super profitable. I mean, what was it? $34 million in one month in fees. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a profitable business, man. Yeah. I mean, I just don't get it. And, and how is that? How is that justifiable? How is that acceptable? How do the creditors accept that? I mean, I, I just don't get it. And how can the government accept that? I'll tell you. I'll tell you why, because it's not their money. It's either you take it or somebody else well, is going to take the, it. But who's, 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 what do you mean? The 34 million, who's paying for that? It's coming, it's coming out of the uh, liquidation proceeds, of course. Who else is going to pay for it? Exactly. It's and not so, their money. It's like, and, it's, and, a, it's and, a truck full of cheese that's, it's moving by you, right? You can just watch it move by, or you can just, take a chunk of that cheese that's how they think of it they don't think that this yeah. is holy creditor money and we need to protect it at all costs they're like this is a gravy train let me get some of that gravy yeah it's not and, their money and these are my rates five thousand dollars a day five thousand dollars an hour and, and i'm just gonna build them up and, and i'm gonna throw 15 accountants at it's it or the, 500 the, accountants at it and, it's the 50 dollar advil yeah. the 50 dollar advil yeah it's like it's crazy, man. Just and 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 that's how that's that's the society we've built and we've come to respect and come to accept. Um, it's just, yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately, I guess those are the high-profile ones, and maybe the thirty-four million dollars 
pays for all of the ones that we don't see where there is no pool. And we have all these small law firms and accounting firms that have to go take these small businesses that have no assets. And, and, and you pay for that through these yeah, means as well. I don't know, they subsidize not. these. Absolutely not. Yeah, these people not. take okay. their money. Ooh, these ooh. people take their money up front. Okay. You get on a phone call, yeah. uh, you get on a phone call introductions and the, I, I, a guy I knew, his his lawyer asked him out for. Uh, he said, "Hey, let's meet for coffee." They went for coffee. Came back, sent him a bill. Sent him a bill for the time they spent know, having coffee that. together. I'm like, "Come on, man! This is getting it's ridiculous." Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you don't, you, you, think. Need, you don't need to write a proposal. You don't need to put together, a, you know, sort of. Yeah, uh, and then, you know, this is how I'd work it. This is the scope of work. These are the type of services. No, no, no. If you have an exchange charge. back and forth yeah, just, with a oh. lawyer, he's going to send you an invoice. Yeah, it's built. Yeah, it just and it's it's it baffles me. Why is that justifiable? It's like, and it's because taken for granted. Oh, I have to pay you for that. Yeah, because of the penal code and the criminal justice system. That's how they're structured. They're convoluted so that you need an expert to decipher it for you. At some point, we're just going to move past that. We're going to put every single legal precedent into an LLM, and it's going to spit yeah, out yeah, exactly. its advice, yeah, yeah, and we're going exactly. to move on. You know, the one exactly. industry yeah, that's exactly. going to go away, it's going to be anything related to like the interpretation of the law or legal precedent. Okay, because you do nothing more sophisticated than just going like you're your glorified database researcher. Okay, LLMs do that very yeah. very well. So. If it, if it, and I think that's that's that that's 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 a good segue into a new area, right? LLMs. We've been talking about it uh, for a while now, on, you know, in 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 this series. And 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 what I find really interesting about these LLMs is is and they are and what we talked about last time was really they are accretive to existing services, right? So they will support and make us more efficient, right? They're productivity gains to society how do we use them to help product you know get better and, and improve productivity right and you you shared a a link where you're seeing how all of these SaaS services are beginning to incorporate ai functionalities and llm capabilities into their big products why because these are providers of big data that are aggregated for customers. And so how can the customers use that data to their benefit, you know, to their benefit? And as a feature in my service, I become a more attractive proposition by incorporating LLM capabilities into my SaaS. Thereby, I retain my customers. Because if I don't do it, somebody else will do it. And you got it. this is going and to come bundle, across the right? And The bundling yeah. services, you they can actually be made cheaper now, right? I can now sell you a suite of products. Before, I couldn't, like, bundling was, was annoying because you knew that you were paying for yeah. Microsoft PowerPoint, Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, Microsoft whatever, but you weren't using most of them. You were probably just using Microsoft Word, let's be real, or maybe a little bit of Excel or something, yeah. okay? But now... When I say, okay, by the way, this entire ecosystem is now integrated because there's an LLM backend on it, this becomes a much more interesting prospect, right? When Slack now has access to the LLMs, 
Slack, the company, can afford to like send you, uh, sell you uh, bundles that are much bigger than just, hey, you have access to um, uh, the Slack workspace, right? I can start, I can start archiving uh, messages. I can start um, generating responses based on that. I can start generating uh, clever reminders or smart reminders based on this. I can start delegating tasks based on that. All sorts of wonderful things that increase the sort of the richness of the experience. It's helped a lot of companies, and it's going to increase competition, I think, uh, in a way that's non-trivial. That is ultimately a good thing. You now will have a lot more Slack competitors. You will have a lot more Microsoft competitors. It is, a, for at least for the average user, it is a wonderfully productive thing. And I think we're, we're going to see so many more disruptions. And, and my fear is that all of a sudden, regulators are going to come in and try to protect the incumbents, right? So you won't be able to use an AI engine to drive up your legal opinion. You have to have a lawyer and the only, you know, these certified lawyers or these certified accountants are the ones that are allowed to represent you and you're not allowed to have anybody else. You have to use them in order to submit your request. If it's not through them, we cannot accept it sort of type thing, right? We're going to have well, I actually, steps I actually like think that it's going to be, way. It's going to be... Um prohibitive not on the output side but on the input side it's going to tell you you can't train your llm on this data you're not allowed to train llm on this data because we don't know actually like we generally do not have a mechanistic understanding of how exactly the llm produces an answer we sort of have a vague idea and we know how it does text interpolation and we know how we know how it sort of works but we don't actually if i ask you to if i give you a large like an llm and say um predict the output like you you're now going to tell it something and it's going to respond predict what it's going to say you actually we actually don't know how to do that very precisely what i do know with exact precision is what i feed into the llm the training data so the regulators are going to come say because they don't understand how this works they're going to say hey by the way you're 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 not allowed to train it on this set of data and you're like well that's not really how it works right i i, I can't just pick and choose right <laughs> I give it a large enough data set and there's something like an emergent property that comes out of it, but it's not like I know that this particular training data corresponds to this particular output, you know, in very like simple toy model cases, yes. But for these, the word L in LLM stands for large, right? We're talking about hundreds yeah. of billions of parameters. I, and I don't know exactly yeah. how, they, uh, how they correlate and nobody else does. And so to say that I can predict the output, they're gonna ask you essentially, hey, you're going to need to predict the output of your LLM and then decide what training data you're going to actually use it to, uh, to train the, the model. I'm like, that's just not how it works, dude. But if I've learned anything, that's how these people think. Yeah. That's how they think, right? And yeah, and then, I mean, then there's going to be other things that come in. Oh, you're not, you're, you're, are you accredited investor? The definition of an accredited investor. Are you... You know, you have to be above 18 years old, you know, you have to, you know, so all of these funky restrictions are going to come up and, and, and define how these services are used. And, I mean, and, to, to and be fair, you, you I don't think, I don't think most of this will even manifest just because uh, you already have, I mean, I can, I can, I can run LLMs on my, locally on my device. Uh, this is not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know compression architectures that allow you to do this literally on your MacBook Pro or whatever. So it's, it's really not, it's yeah. unstoppable at this point. So I don't think it's going to be, it's really going to be, can you sell your output to somebody? Can you provide a service 
based on uh, publicly available data. That's what the, that's where they're going to regulate. But the actual usage of the model or the training in and of itself, without you know, if I just train a model, arbi- some arbitrary model, and I never show it to anyone, or I never, or at least I never sell the output to anyone, nobody cares, right? It's the monetization of the model that they're going to regulate. They're not going to regulate who can have access to it because they can't. It's you can just go on GitHub. It's there. Okay, but so the sale of the output. So uh, you run your model, you've, you've aggregated and, and you've specialized in a niche, you've built a model around all of these services. So you're saying you're not allowed to, they will ban you from being able to monetize that skill set that you have acquired and trained no, they're gonna ask your you questions. AI. They're going to they're ask you questions and, and, be, and require prohibitive proof of what you've done to produce this. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they're going to think about it. It's going to be the KYC AML, so, but for LLMs, instead of like when you show yeah. up with a bank so with a million dollars in cash, they ask you where you got it from. Now, if you show up yeah, with yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. a very interesting piece of code, they're going to ask you or whatever, they're going to ask you how you came up with it. Man, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be such an interesting world, man. It's going to be so difficult to, yeah, the, the, the red tape is just going to get bigger, harder, more challenging. And ultimately, I, I just think it's got to backfire. I mean, I mean it's, yeah. it certainly always does. It certainly always does. Yeah, but we're, the pendulum is so far on one side at the moment that it's really, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can't pay, you know, you, 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 you start out, I mean, look at Bitcoin, right? When Bitcoin, if you started off in Bitcoin, it was, uh, you know, in the sense, right? And, or Ethereum as well. You started off in those two protocols. Nobody respected it. You were laughed out of the room. And all of a sudden today, it's 20,000. Now it's a taxable item, right? It's on the tax bill. It's a, it's a called a digital asset. Um, how do you tax somebody that got in? in 30 cents, sold out everything, put it into a bank account before KYC, AML all happened. And, you know, boom, it's become something. You accept payment in a new protocol that doesn't even exist today, hasn't even recognized, you know, is worth nothing. And then tomorrow it becomes worth, you know, something significant. And all of a sudden that has to be taxed. How do you, and and how do you bring that? Because it's taxed, or will be taxed, you have to take it into the fiat world in order to pay that tax. And, and how do you get recognition to take that into the fiat world? It's, it's yeah, it, it, there's so many hurdles. Does yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, Mr. Stefan, I don't care about any of that. You owe me money, you figure it out, and you send me the check for that money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Thanks, man. That's just how the IRS does it. It's like I don't, I don't give a fuck, dude. That's your problem. You just send me the money. You fucking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, good service, customer service, right? Customer support. None of that. What am I paying you for, right? If you, (laughs) if I have to walk into the kitchen and itemize the bill, what am I paying you for? It's, 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 it's the whole, yeah, so, so to your point, violence has shifted 
from rockets, guns, brute force, batons to fuck you, pay me, I don't give a shit, you owe me that money, get it to me now. And there's nothing you can do about it. And nothing you can do, oh, and bank account? Oh, where did you get the money from? Did you pay your taxes on that money? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you, you know, it's like all of a sudden, oh my God, I can't even enter the system because I don't have the right kind of, you know, prerequisites needed in order to jump through the re- relevant hurdles, right? It's just... Nope. You either play by eye rules or you fuck off. Yeah. Oh, you fuck off. Exactly. It's really that bad. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, interesting. In, in the modern interesting world, if, you're, if you are debanked, so if in the, West, in, in the West, if you're debanked, you're done. If you don't have access to banking institutions, you are done. You have nothing. You can't even get an apartment because people have to check your credit scores, right? You have nothing. Nobody's going to pay you in cash. When was the last time you paid anybody in cash for any material amount of money? You can't do anything with it. Most places don't even accept cash anymore. Yeah. Um, Bit of a somber. Yeah, I guess. Bit of a somber note. Yeah, somber somber ending. I think... (laughs) I think, what does that mean? We need to build an ecosystem that I can go to and have my education. I can have it paid for in crypto. I can go to get my health services in crypto. I can have detailed preventative solutions that are documented and shared out there through open source channels so you can prevent needing to go to these educational systems. Taxman... I don't know how you deal with that. I think, you know, <laughs> we just need to deal with it at some point. But are there going to be money changers? Maybe it's just cash. I go to a money changing, like a money gram. I give them my Bitcoin and they give me fiat for it. And you do have that. OTC trades. You have that already today. Um, and then I'll that's tell what you, you use to pay the I'll tax tell you, man, right? I'll tell and, you how we do it. The only way to do yeah. it is if the technology that you build, the, primitive, the cryptographic primitives that you build are cheaper, faster, and better and easier to use when they are yeah there's no stopping it yeah they become just like llms where they're they're widely proliferating and it goes uphill and you just can't and you goes, just can't, yeah, exactly. you can't stop it it's that simple you can't stop it yeah. great technology and... great products are are bought they're not sold you don't need to sell anyone yeah. on the use cases of crypto if crypto is cheaper faster better and more secure it's that simple People will chase you for it. And on that note, that's why we're in this industry <laughs> and that's why we're continuing to build out features, capabilities to number one, provide a reward to those that take the risk and innovate in this space and adventure and venture out into these new fields. And number two is to make it faster, easier, simpler to use, which we still have challenges. There's a lot of opportunity. And and that's why we're in this space, despite some of these somber um, th- topics that we covered off today, there is still a lot of room for improvement. And by the way, this isn't the first time this has happened. We've gone through choke points 0. 0. 0.0, 0.05, 0.01, and now we're choke point 2.0. We've gone through the Mt. Gox crash. We've gone through the FTX crash. We've gone through the 27, 2017 Dow hack. We've gone through so many of these different experiences where 
all of a sudden, regulators have tried to come in and, and stifle innovation. They've changed it every time. We've come up with new ways, new innovations to then really move the needle forward to make it faster, easier, better. The applications, the tool sets, all of those today are by magnitudes better than they were in 2014, 2017. And the cost points of doing transactions have come down significantly. The speed of a transaction has improved rapidly, right? And so we have so much more um, to, to innovate on and with, which is the exciting thing. Uh, and let's do it. And let's bring it out there and, and get more people to adopt. And let's just continue to grow it organically. Let's not necessarily need to think we need to have some super inorganic growth. We can grow this organically and people will come in because it's going to be better, uh, have better rewards and provide a larger opportunity with a lot of creativity. Let's fucking go. That was the sales pitch. <laughs> LFG. See, see okay, you next man. week, everyone. <laughs>